Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. Oh, what's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're, we're the hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast where we're t- passionate just really passionate and fired up about the faith of the next generation mm-hmm. and seeing young adults reach for Christ in our world today. We're joined by our new friend, our guest, Katie McCown. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. Oh man. Well, we are so thrilled to have another female on the podcast is always fun. And just to really receive the the gift that was sent in the mail. If you guys don't know, Katie, she is amazing, a writer, and just kind of sharing some of her story of from the book that she belongs, finding your place in the body of Christ. So we received this in the mail. It's beautiful. It's fun. It is a six week study and hopefully help you as a listener uncover some of those things in our lives to, to find community, to find joy, to find your place, to find your people and your purpose, not only through the word of God, but through friendships and relationships and knowing that Katie has, um, just traveled and she's moved a lot. And just the, some yeah. of the things that have taken place in her life. If you guys don't know her, she is a writer of the Proverbs 31 ministry, the host of the best day ever podcast. That you should listen to every single day <laughs> and the author of she smiles without fear. And Katie left her job as a television news reporter to join her husband, Luke on their adventure in the national football league. And Luke and Katie have six children. You guys are busy, not only from just like marriage, but beyond that. And we are so thrilled to have you here with us today, Katie. We're going to dive into a conversation in the next few minutes. A few things that Micah mentioned that we're going to unpack is the power of community. Yeah. Maybe you're in a place where you're pioneering, starting a new small group or ministering to young adults and, uh, Loneliness is at an all-time high. Maybe you've felt rejected. We're going to talk about that and just finding your place. As you know, we drop new episodes every Monday to help you start your week off strong. Mm -hmm. And we're excited. Thanks for subscribing to this, leaving a rating and sharing it with other young adults and young leaders. But Katie, we want to kick it to you. Would you just be willing to kind of share some of your life story besides your bio? Take us just uh, a layer deeper and, and just share some of your journey of writing and family and leadership today. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I love to share some of your life journey because boy, there's plenty to share. And I was thinking about it. I thought, well, maybe I'll just kind of try to share like the, the change moments, you know? So I think it's really important to start on the outset. I was born a twin. So I have an identical twin sister. Yes. And um, it's funny because we don't live in the same place. And so she is such a, she still is my best friend. You know, I, I have never known life without her. And yet there are people in my life who don't know anything about her because we don't live together. But I was born an identical twin and talked to her this morning. She's still a huge part of my life. And, uh, and so, you know, born to my mom and my dad, well, one year and one day after I was born, My biological father was in a car accident that left him comatose for the rest of his life until he passed. So that was a life change moment. Of course, I was a year old, so there I can't really tell you much about it, but it was absolutely a life change moment. Well, fast forward, then I was saved by grace through faith in Jesus around the age of six. 
And then shortly after that, we had what I'll just kind of describe as a bit of a family split that happened probably within that same year and major life change moment. Again, I was still very young, so I didn't realize at that moment what the fallout, if you will, would be. I was loved. I remember being loved fiercely by people who loved Jesus my whole life. So I always experienced that, which I do think helped kind of the helped me absorb some of the things that came from that split at such a young age. But then, you know, I felt like I lived a pretty normal life (laughs) and went to college and majored in journalism, met my husband there and worked for a few years in the field of journalism before I married my husband. And then we as I say, we set off on our adventure in the National Football League. You know, we we had ideas about how that would go. You know, we just, we loved Jesus. So we fully expected for him to win a whole lot of Super Bowls and share the gospel on the Super Bowl stage, right? When he hoisted the trophy, all the things, not at all how it went. We were uh, drafted to the Cleveland Browns, which is kind of up there around where you guys are. And we were there for one season, one and then, you know, we thought we would be there for five. We were talking about our five-year plan, all, all of those things. After one season, he was traded. And when I say overnight, I mean, we were pregnant with my first, with our first child. And on Saturday night, we finished his nursery. And then on Sunday morning, we found out that we were going to be traded wow. to Florida. Okay, now I will add that there was a blizzard happening in Cleveland. So it wasn't just completely terrible news that we were moving to the beach, but I was eight months pregnant with our first child and we didn't have a clue it was happening that we were, you know, going to be packing and moving and all the things that come with that grocery store. Like, where am I going to buy milk? You know, (laughs) doctors, hospitals, those kinds of things. So we learned pretty early on in our marriage that planning would not always go how we thought it would. Uh, And that really kind of set the stage for the next 13 years of our our lives. I think we counted it up. I think we moved 12 times in 13 years and we had six kids along the way. So my kids were born in four different states, no, four different cities, three different states, you know, just to tell them, I can't tell you the names of the doctors that delivered them. I don't remember. (laughs) We, We met some of them last minute, but Oh, we, he played for 13 years. We played on a lot of different teams, um, finished with the New Orleans Saints, had our six kids during that time. And then in the midst of that, uh, you know, I did feel God calling me to teach the Bible and I, I have a background in journalism. So writing was just something I always did. So it was also something I could do no matter what state we were in, no matter how many kids we had, I could do it after they all went to bed. So I will say that as God calls me into that, I always felt like the timing was completely wrong. I mean, I was definitely like, are we sure about this? You know, when I really did take the first step, I was pregnant with our sixth child, like way pregnant with our sixth child. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. But I think that's probably something else I've learned along the way is that God's timing doesn't always agree with mine. And to me, it would never be what I would choose, but it is, his timing is always right. And he always has a reason for it. Okay. So that's the brief journey up to this point. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, it's just fun to hear 
everybody has a different story and everybody exactly. comes from a different background and everything around us starts molding us. And that just becomes part of our testimony that we get to share with the people we come across, the other players' wives. Like, I'm sure you had so many divine conversations that you, I don't know, like only God knows the ramifications, you know, of, of being in love with him that just point people to Christ, even when they don't know him. So we know that you have six children and what does that age age range look like now? How old are they now? So right now, and my baby has a birthday coming up and I I mean, I say my baby, she's going to be 10. So my youngest, we're leaving the single digits forever. So uh, once she has her birthday, we're going to be from 10 to 18. Okay. Yes. Yes. So your 18 year old is really reaching those pivotal moments of, we call it adulting. And when you start buying a house and having kids, I'm like, we're just extreme adulting now. Like, I don't think we ever grow up. Right. Yes. (laughs) I have 75 year old friends. We do that are like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I'm like, I don't know how much time we all have left, but let's figure that out. Right. Let's figure that out together. But knowing that your children are being raised in the world, obviously they're in your home, but in the world around them and with your 18 year old on the brink of potentially, you know, doing whatever, going off to college, joining the military, staying at home, doing, becoming a YouTube sensation overnight, anything can happen. Right. So I would just be curious, Katie, like, why do you believe that reaching the next generation and reaching young adults specifically in the ministry realm is so vital and critical in this day and age? Yeah. I I mean, and I even love that you say in this day and age, I think it is possibly more crucial in this day and age than it has been in the past. I would say, I mean, to start, I just draw from my own experience and I, I know how much I've learned from watching people who are a step ahead of me and not even necessarily being their best friend, but just observing there's mm-hmm. such, I'm so thankful for the wisdom of people who have already done what I've done, who have already experienced my failures and can look at me and say, oh yeah, <laughs> I, because I think sometimes even in the failures, it's the most crucial because we can make decisions in about what we think about ourselves or what we think about God or what we think about our future. And then when you have someone that can speak into that and, and, and affirm that you're not the only one in the whole world that's ever experienced this. And then they can even show you an example of someone on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. It's been such a gift for me. And I go back, you know, I'm, I have, I have left my young adult years, but those young adult years for me are when it became the most crucial. I will say maybe before I hit young adult years, I, you know, you feel like you got it. Like I wouldn't even, I just felt like it was all about the world I was living in. And there wasn't really much of a world outside of that. You know, everything was kind of going just fine. And then I hit those young adult years and there was this this, you know, teeter totter of confidence and, oh my gosh, I don't have a clue what's going on. (laughs) And you just never knew where you were going to fall there. And in the confident times, it was always a gift to have a voice that would humble me a little bit and help me see reality a little bit. And then in the freak out times, it was always such a gift to have someone who could balance that for me. And maybe that's the key word is the balance that is provided from those who are there 
to speak into the lives of those young adults. I feel like young adults are balancing so much more than maybe we ever have asked them in the past. And I even had a conversation with someone older than me who has done a lot, even in um, our country, as it as it pertains to uh, the next generation. And he said something that, you know, you always hear people say, it's always, it's the same, you know, our, for our parents, they thought that our generation was so different and, and that, you know, the generation before them thought that their generation was so different, but everybody will be like, it's really all the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the same as it was. We just, make a bigger deal of it. Like it's so much worse or it's so different. Well, this guy was like, it actually is very different for young adults today than it ever has been Mm -hmm. in the history of the world because of technical tech. You know, I never can say this word technological advances because of digital advances. Let's go with that. Um, But I think that's fair. And I think it, can bring some freedom to just acknowledge it is different and what young adults today are experiencing is different and what they're up against and, and what's expected of them and required of them to navigate this world Mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful to acknowledge that. And so that being said, you know, I think about, there's two verses that I think about. One is in Hebrews 12 and it starts off since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race marked out for us. And I think we kind of like to go to let us run the race, but it's since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And so it makes me go, let's surround our young adults. Like those of us who can be a witness and a testimony to what God has done, let's surround them with biblical truth, point them to the great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11, you know, from that hall of faith chapter so that they can run with endurance the race marked out for them. I think about that one. And then I think about Romans 12, one and two, that talks about the difference between being conformed to the pattern of this world and being transformed. And the reality is it will be one or the other. And so if they are, if they're up against the world, that's trying to conform them minute by minute, sometimes second by second, I think it's so vital that we get in there too. And we offer that encouragement and that sharpening and the truth that will help them be transformed, you know, come alongside them in that. Yeah. So, so good. And I want to talk about spiritual formation for just a second, because when you look at that great cloud of witnesses, when you study the people of God Mm -hmm. in the church today, and you look at every age and stage you look at the capital C church of those who are Christ followers, 75% of them receive Christ before the age of 18. And I think of your story that you shared, it was six. For me, it was about age five at a Billy Graham event, Micah. um, Kindergarten. Yeah. And so I think that Jesus talked about letting the next generation of little children come to him. What I think is really key to zero in on two is 95%, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who become Christ followers or are in church, a part of the people of God, 95% of them start following Jesus before their 30th birthday. 
And so even that 18 to 30 range, we're talking in of one in five people, mm-hmm. 20% of people who are in the church, maybe they were reached on a college campus through a ministry, or they, they began to ask the questions of faith and life and adulting relationships and finances. And, and that's when they had that awakening reality of the gospel moment. Yeah. And along with the the spiritual needs in our lives mm-hmm. come relational needs. Yeah. I think of your story, moving all those different times. And maybe a young leader can relate because their parents served in the military and they, they moved every couple of years as well. But some people, we, I want to kind of really zero in this next segment on belonging because acceptance and rejection, loneliness mm-hmm. and community are, are two almost equal, but opposite forces. And to, to launch the first question, Katie, some people have just been burned by the church. Church hurt is a real thing. And it's not that they were hurt by the church. It's that they were hurt by people who are a part of the the people of God and uh, even in the church. So how can somebody move forward who has experienced hurt from relationships? And right now they just they're wounded. They feel debilitated by that pain. Yeah. And I want to start with, I know exactly how that feels. I think that sometimes when you have experienced that so in such a raw way, like it's hard to listen to someone who doesn't quite understand. So I want to lead with, I do understand. Uh, I understand some deep wounds and I understand, you know, trying and then feeling it again. And just, I 100% understand the thought that it would be better just to stay away, that, that it's safer if I'll just lean back and, and still love Jesus, just serve him in what feels like a safer place, because I just don't have to deal with what might happen in trying to do this relationship thing with other people who say they follow Jesus. And so there was a word that I just said there, and I think that's really where we land sometimes when we feel these wounds. I love that word that you used uh, because I, they are wounds. And I, you know, I think of it, we, we have six kids, we deal with these you know, cuts and scrapes and boo-boos, you know, if you will, exterior on the skin. And we have a process of of how we handle that. You know, when my kiddos come in and they're crying and bleeding a little, and there's a, you know, a cut or a scrape, I'm not like, you know, oh, well, good luck with that. Be careful. We tend to the wound, you know, there's a process of cleaning it. Mm -hmm. There's a process of caring for it. And, uh, and as our children have grown, the wounds have moved from the exterior to the interior because we're all going to experience heart wounds. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we're in that space, sometimes we just feel like we're supposed to deal with it handle it, figure it out. And, and what we end up doing is trying to find this place where it just doesn't hurt as bad. Like, 
you know, maybe you've, if you're thinking of back to the the child, like maybe when it hurts and you go to try to clean it, but they kind of recoil and cover it up because they think that that's going to actually hurt worse and it's not good. And I don't want you to see or touch it. And so we kind of do that with our heart wounds. We just, we just try to cover them up and recoil because we don't want it to hurt worse. But in the process of doing that, and we all know what happens with physical wounds, in the process of doing that, they're just going to get infected and they're going to become more painful because we think we're dealing with it, but in our dealing with it, it's not actually healing. And so I think that that's really where we have to come is we have to be willing to acknowledge there is pain there it hurts and it needs to heal. Yeah. And sometimes that's harder, but you know, some of us really just want to cover it up, throw up a defense and even, you know, I call it a stiff arm. It can be a spiritual stiff arm, like just create space and distance so that we can convince ourselves it's been dealt with and it doesn't hurt anymore. But that is most of the time not reality. There has to be a healing process. And the healing process, I would say, most often does not begin between us and another person. The healing process begins with us and our Savior. Mm -hmm. It, It begins with bringing our wounds to Him. And I think we skip that step because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I just want to resolve things. I want to go straight to resolution and something that God has taught me as I keep trying. It's, you know, I feel like you can interchange the words resolve and fix. Like I'm trying to resolve, but I'm really just trying to fix it. And quite honestly, I'm trying to fix it in a way that works for me. And so uh, he has shown me that many times the, the goal isn't my own resolution. What he really wants me to do is bring it to him and release it, release instead of resolve, release it to him, release it to his care, release it to his healing for me personally, and then release it to him to resolve between me and whether it is a direct resolution between me and another person or whether, whether or not is resolving to allow him to deal with the other person involved But that has been a part of what I have learned in this healing process. And I will say that the blessing of coming to Jesus and beginning with healing that comes from him is that there is, there is no one who understands more than him, understands rejection from those who knew him and loved him the most on earth in his greatest time of need on earth, you know, as, as he was approaching the cross wow. and they didn't just desert him, his disciples, but Peter openly denied him. And, you know, you guys, there's this, this really raw moment in scripture where Peter denies him for the third time. And Jesus had told Peter, this was going to happen. And then the Bible records that Jesus and Peter caught eyes and he is standing there being ridiculed, being falsely accused, being beaten. And Peter, whom he loved and who he knew loved him, who had followed him, who had been a part of every miraculous thing, you know, and who had listened to him and learned from him and professed him as savior. And they caught eyes in that moment. 
But what we, what we learned before they ever caught eyes in that moment, before Jesus ever looked into the eyes of that disciple that had denied and deserted him is that Jesus had already planned to forgive him. Good, Katie. And I just, I say all that to say that Jesus is a safe place for us to bring our wounds. Mm-hmm. And I understand that each other, not always, not always the best place to go when we're tender, when we're hurt, but we can always come to Jesus. We can count on him to understand. We can count on him to handle us with tenderness and gentleness. The Bible says he is near to the brokenhearted and the Christian spirit, but we have to take the first step of bringing our wounds to him and being willing to allow him to heal us and quit trying to deal with it on our own. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds a little bit odd because we're talking about belonging in the body of Christ and we're talking about relationships with one another, but we'll never belong in the body of Christ until we are one hundred percent confident in our belonging to Jesus. Yeah. It always begins with him. So I would say that's, that's the safe place to start. And as he heals us, then we can begin to work on our relationships with each other. Yes. I love that you said the words dealing and healing. And I think so many times as if there's a leader listening or a young adult listening, we want to put a, a we want to put a bandage on the wound and pretend it never happened. And like you said, it's festering, it's getting infected, it's getting worse, it's transferring from our skin to to our heart. And then we start thinking those negative thoughts and then it affects our thought life. And then it's deeper dug trenches in our mind and our memory bank. And then we start telling our story in a way that it never actually happened instead of just dealing with it and going to the healer to experience the healing. And I think sometimes even as leaders, Mm. whether a staff member has walked out, whether a whole team has transitioned or they aren't where their church wants to be, or they're hurt by people they thought they could trust, or the board has voted against them in whatever way, or they feel that I think even as the leader, just to encourage your heart. Like, I think one of the most powerful things to say in leadership is I'm sorry and taking responsibility because hurting people hurt others. And we're all broken. We're all hurt in some way, shape and form. But when we fess up and we own our own behavior, whether we realize it or not, I think it's mindful to be like, you know what? I acknowledge I'm not perfect. I am human. I may have hurt or said something to offend you, to set you off, to like put a bad taste in your mouth, but here's my intention, how it was, you know? So even just kind of being a leader who leader who can say, I'm sorry, and confidently own the fact that you're not perfect, even though people may put you on a pedestal. And I think for leaders and listeners of any age, I think like you said, it's safer to retreat than to re-engage. Mm-hmm. So instead of me re-engaging with somebody who's hurt me, I'm going to retreat and pretend like I don't even see you. Everybody notices when you turn your head, like just, I can't see you. It's like playing peekaboo with a kid. Just right. your eyes covered does not mean that they don't see you and they can't feel that weird tension, you know? So for the person who's maybe safer to retreat than to re-engage, because many people might disengage or re-engage or desire some engagement with church, with people, with community, but the easy thing to do, it seems like, is to turn to social media for our approval, for our community, for our connection, for a false sense of friendship that actually leads to more anxiety, depression, and loneliness, in my opinion. And I think studies could obviously back some of those things up, but Everyone experiences like the constant connectivity more or less with social media, then can feel like they're always engaging with the people like 
social media, I feel connected, but in person, I don't feel connected, but people are still feeling lonely. Like, why is that? What is the dilemma? What is the problem? Why do we desire connectedness? Like, however you want to take it. Yeah. So I have, there's two things I think about when we talk about this. Um, The first thing is I just want to draw attention to what happens when we are connecting on social media, which is going to happen with our device, right? So our phone. And so I just want to say, like, let's say Josiah and Micah, we're having this conversation and I'm connected on social media. So I'm doing this, right? Okay. So two things have just been taken from me when I'm doing this, my hand and my eyes. So when we're connecting via social media, what we are actually doing is we're losing our connection to what's happening around us, both with our eyes and with our hands. And what happens with our eyes and our hands? With our eyes, we see each other. Yeah. We see needs. We see smiles. We see concern. We see somebody carrying four bags of groceries and we could go help them carry. When when we lose our eyes, we lose our connection, not just to uh, not just to vision, but to truly seeing the people in front of us through expression and just through activity. But then we also lose our hand. Okay. So like our hands are the, are the things that both reach and receive. We reach out to others to, to practically come alongside them and carry a grocery sack or, help them get something off the top shelf or, you know, plant flowers at the neighbor's house. We, we practically use our hands to reach out and help, but we also use our hands to receive help. And, and that's when you go back to the, our eyes and not only do our eyes see what's happening around us, but our eyes can also express to others what's happening in our own hearts. So when we lose those two things via connecting on social media, we're losing more than what we realize. The other thing I want to draw attention to is this word engage. And I'm actually going to read these definitions because there's two definitions of engage. And I think it's wild when you consider this conversation. So the first definition of engage is kind of what I just described. It is to occupy attract or involve someone's interest or attention. So that's what happens when we engage on social media. Our attention is occupied with the scroll, okay? But listen to the second definition. The second definition of engage is to participate or become involved in. That's what happens when we put that down and we see each other and our hands are available to receive and to reach. And I think that's what we're missing. We think we are engaged, but we're engaged with definition number one. We're, We're occupied. We're not participating. We're not becoming involved in. We're not belonging. We're just occupied. Our attention is occupied. And I don't think it's... I think every single one of us, if we were, you know, you guys started this by saying, like, I hope you're alive. If we want to define being alive, it's not our attention being occupied. 
It's participation. Mm -hmm. It's belonging. It's being involved in. It's the second definition of engaged. And that's the gap that I think we all feel. And even the healthiest of us, when we spend too much time in a day on social media, we're going to feel, you know, the best word I can come up with is icky or just, ugh, you know, and we, if we can become quick to pinpoint that and then to take what might feel like the risk of getting out from behind the screen so that we can see and be seen so that we can reach and receive, we're, we're taking the step towards being alive. So good. I love it. Our hope for the listener, mm-hmm. the person watching on YouTube right now is that you would experience life, life to the fullest, being fully alive. And two of the practices that I've just in in line with this, um, I'm as guilty as anyone of wasting time on social media or getting caught in that wormhole. But I will mm-hmm. say that a couple of things help me ground me. One is my wife who will say the hard thing, put your phone away. Second is we have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And I notice, they notice me. If I'm not paying attention to them, they want me to go in that room and play or they want. And so two of the things that I try to do as often as possible, put both feet on the ground. And that tells my mind, I got to be present right here. Nothing wrong with sitting cross-legged or whatever, but for me, when I put two feet on the ground, I Mm. feel more present, feel more grounded. The second thing is on our date night and on a family night each week, I try to plug this in uh, and and just have it in a drawer or just let it charge. And those breaks, excuse me, those breaks are a gift. And um, that time, that focused Mm -hmm. attention is powerful. The other thing, Katie, is I had a professor in college who said this, people will fail you, organizations will guard their territory, but God is faithful. And now 14, 15 years later, I'm like, he started every class Mm -hmm. and I took two or three classes from him, Dr. Watson. and, And like, he would start every morning, class, people will fail you. Organizations will guard their territory, but God is faithful. And you know what I've found to be really true? All three of those things. <laughs> I've had some people that I put my trust in that have let me down, mm-hmm. been hurt by it. Uh, I've had some organizations that, you know what? It's not my territory. It's not even the leader's territory. They're just guarding what they believe is theirs. Mm-hmm. And there's some hurt. There's some, well, I'm sensitive by nature. And then the last one, God is faithful, even in the midst of hurt caused by people, even when things haven't gone with my hopes and dreams. I think of your husband, decisions about his future were made without him in the room. He didn't always get a say of, I'd like to stay with this team, or could I put in a request to go to that team? It's sometimes we're all like that, that, you know what, leaders we submit to their authority because it's placed there by God and God is faithful. I've experienced the faithfulness of God. And I just want to remind the listener of that today and following it up with a question of Katie for the young adult who maybe they just moved and they're like freshmen in a city all over again. They were, they had community on their college campus and in their church and it was four years of bliss and they grew in their faith. And now they're in Cincinnati and they're like, I know two people barely in this entire town. I I think it's just 
so many people maybe take a job fresh out of college mm-hmm. or maybe they they take a move across the country. What would you say about how can somebody experience deep belonging in the body of Christ, maybe when it even feels like starting over again? Yeah. And you know what? Ooh, sometimes that's the hardest. I know it well. And especially like that scenario you just described where you may have had it and you you experience this deep belonging in a small group or in a church or at, you know on your campus and you grew and it was just so fruitful and so blessed and then you're transplanted and you're looking around and honestly i think most of the time what we don't find is these people just waiting to welcome us and mm-hmm. waiting with open arms to say come here you know it just seems to be difficult and and even if you know, you've decided, you know, that you need it. And so you've decided to, to kind of take that first step and, and try local churches. And, and even then sometimes it can be really discouraging because sometimes it can feel like what we find are the places we don't belong (laughs) more than the places we do. And when you're seeking that among Christians, among churches, and it just feels like, not a fit, not a fit. Don't, it can get really discouraging. And I know, I know that well, we did move a lot. And after that very first move to Florida and, uh, we actually had, oh, we had two kids there in, in Florida. And I, I remember God pressing on my heart, how important it was going to be to be committed to the local church now, again, I thought I was going to be right there for the rest of my life. So I was like, okay, that's cool. I can do that. <laughs> and we actually did right there in Florida end up having what you described. I felt like we had this amazing small group of people and, um, and I felt like we, be- we had that feeling of belonging and we did life together and all of the great things. And, and then we ended up moving like 11 more times after that. And, and there were times where I would, Sunday after Sunday, try another place and another place and another place. And just, I mean, honestly, I would go and I would sit on the back row in the balcony by myself and cry because I felt so alone at church Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult. So I want to say two things. And the first thing is don't give up. There is community for you. God did not create you to live alone and to handle life on your own. So I want to encourage you that if you are in that place where you really do feel open and available to community and it just doesn't seem to be right there on your doorstep right now, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep listening to this podcast. Mm. Keep finding encouragement. Keep praying for open doors and keep looking for them. I would say that sometimes when I would go new places, sometimes I'd go in feeling like everybody around me did belong. And I was the only one that didn't. And I will say this. You're you're like, is something wrong with me? Yes. 100%. And oh, by the way, Satan is waiting to confirm that. Yes, there is something wrong with you. He is waiting to say, yep, that's it. You're the problem. Which is why we have to keep leaning in because the further we lean away, the louder his voice will become and the more we'll begin, we'll be, we'll be tempted to believe it. 
But what I have found in those times is that if I will take initiative Mm -hmm. for that person, you know, when you're praying for that open door and God will almost always put somebody there. And if I will be the one that takes initiative and says, Hey, do you want to go grab coffee? I have found more often than not, there are people that I have walked by daily who feel just as isolated as me. I thought they had this amazing community around them and felt so connected and engaged and like they belonged. But when I took the first step to reach out, I found that they were yearning for it as much as I was. And I was shocked, but more often than not, that's what I found. So I would encourage you to keep asking, keep looking. And if God presents the opportunity, take the initiative to ask. And maybe it doesn't begin with a big, small, a big, small group. (laughs) Maybe it doesn't begin with a larger group of people. Maybe it begins one-on-one, but take that step. And then for the one that's like, I'm good. And you're not even really wanting that community. It just feels like a lot right now. And you've got a lot of other things going on. I want to encourage you in the, in this. And, and we've probably said it a time or two here, but the way I've always just said it is you're never safer when you're separate. And, you know, the Discovery Channel, like we've all seen the shows. Mm-hmm. You've got the herd, you have the lion in the bush, and the one that the lion goes after is the one that wanders away from the herd. That is when we are the most vulnerable. And if we can acknowledge that, that we are the most vulnerable in our spiritual life when we are separated from the body of Christ, then we can, we can kind of head off what Satan is going to do to try to separate us, whether it's distractions, whether it's feeling like we don't have time, whether it's a hurt that we're hanging on to that we just don't want to let go of, whatever it is, we can at least identify that and say, Satan is using this against me. Mm -hmm. He is trying to make me feel like I'm better off if I stay away from God's people and the body of Christ. And, And if we can acknowledge that we're not safer when we're separate, that can at least help us continue to move towards the body of Christ when it might just feel easier not to. I think that's so good. I think you're, you are expressing and demonstrating even through this conversation. The number one question that we get asked as young adult pastors is how do I make friends? I mean, I was on a Christian college campus for a whole semester, like 15 to 2000, 1500 to 2000 students. And I went, I was 27 years old. So I was like nine to 10 years older than some of these students, whether they were PSEO or incoming freshmen. And like, Micah, how do you make friends? And I'm just like, I didn't know this was a question. Like I've never had a problem meeting people, having, carrying on conversation, expressing interest towards somebody else, asking questions that truly matter to the person across the table or next to me, like, Hey, is this seat taken? Something so simple. And like, wow, I just became best friends a year later with this person that I asked one question. Can I sit next to you? And you're not, like you said, you're not usually entering a room, like, come sit with me, you know, like nobody's saying that. And if they are praise God for them, because we need more of those people. So I kind of have two questions within one question is for the leader who is listening, who has the opportunity to create space for individuals to encounter friendships, relationships, lifelong friendships, how can pastors, leaders, Mm. 
individuals become more of that person's like, there's always room at our table. That's one of our mottos in our ministry. Like there's always room for more. If somebody comes for supper, you pull up another, another chair. We put another leaf in the table. We grab another plate. Like you're not an inconvenience. Cause I think sometimes we, even as leaders, I can falsely feel like, oh, I'm an inconvenience. If I didn't get an invitation, I'm not going to show up because why I don't want to be in my mind, that person who was not invited and just feels like the odd man out, even though one friend may have said, Hey, you're invited. Yeah. But the host home doesn't know I'm coming, you know? So how can we be a host home of Christ for the believer and non-believer coming through the doors as leaders? How can we create and set the table for people who are moving to a new city for young adults who are not secure in their identity of Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. And how can we learn how to create? Because elements are a responsibility. We can create opportunities, but we can't force people to do this. How can we create opportunities of belonging mm-hmm. on an individual level, but also a corporate level when it comes to the body of Christ, if that makes any sense? <laughs> yeah. What an amazing, I love the phrase you just said, opportunities for belonging. Yeah, Like that is beautiful. And I'm going to write that down and we, woo, we're about to take that and run with it. I <laughs> love that. So I want to say this to leaders. The first thing I want to say is as leaders, I think sometimes we can even worry about rejection. And so we can even resist sometimes reaching out because we're afraid of being rejected. And maybe we just don't want to feel that rejection one more time. So I just want to say to the leader that is trudging along right now, because maybe it's been rough and you've been, you feel like you've been trying and your, your efforts to reach out, like nobody's grabbing your hand and you're like, well, they don't even care if I'm here. And you're just feeling discouraged. I want to go ahead and just lead with you're not alone. And I think Josiah and Micah, I think you guys provide such encouragement for that weekly. Uh, so I do want to at least acknowledge that on the front end, like the same things that we're talking about. And we've, we've said that through this whole conversation leaders deal with two, but opportunities for belonging, I think start with two things, ask and communicate. And you touched on that, Micah, like ask, because the reality is most people think they're not invited if they're not asked. Mm-hmm. And that might not just be ask for fellowship. I think sometimes our greatest sense of belonging comes when we serve together. Yeah. And I know that when I have served with other people, even people that I might not have known well, the depths of our connection, the roots of our relationship have dug deep into the soil. And they're lasting. And so I would say, ask, ask people into fellowship, but also ask them into service. So how can we do more than, because honestly, sometimes fellowship can be uh, more intimidating than service. Because if we're getting together to serve, then we're shoulder to shoulder a lot of times. And those conversations come a little easier than if we're supposed to like sit across from the table with each other and make conversation. So I think that sometimes if we're like, hey, we're all going to get together and go work in the elderly person's yard or wash cars for the people who need help at, you know, this 
place of business or whatever. Um, looking for opportunities to invite into service alongside one of a, one another, I think can open a lot of doors to belonging. I think that's an amazing opportunity for belonging. So that's the ask part, certainly. But I also feel like there's this communication part because I will say this. I think sometimes we make assumptions that people know things they don't know. And so we just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And whether that's we don't introduce ourselves because we think they know who we are. They think we know they know that we're like the, you know, we're the doorkeeper to the young adults ministry or, or we're not, maybe we're not the leader, but we think they just must know who the leader is. Or we think that they're going to be comfortable going up to that leader and saying, Hey, I'm new here. Or we think they know about the Sunday night gathering or whatever. We just assume that people know how to get connected or become involved or take a first step. And they don't. And so we never say anything. We don't, I understand there's a thing about oversharing and over communicating. I get that. But I think more often we are way on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And and we just assume that people have at their disposal the resources they need to move towards belonging and they don't. So I would say if you aren't sure, if you yourself have not had the conversation, then over communicate and maybe look for ways to communicate better, whether or not that means you get a little leadership group to help go out and reach different, communicate with different, different groups that, that may need that invitation to belong. However, like, but look for ways that we can communicate more clearly and more consistently. So good. I'm loving this episode and this conversation. Uh, I think that it's just so vital and important. The phrase Mm -hmm. that we've kind of landed on these opportunities to belong. Mm -hmm. And I just want to challenge the leader listening that whether Mm -hmm. it's for your benefit or the benefit of those you lead um, this week, I'm going to ask you to, to get out your phone, to send a text, make a call, make a DM and uh, ask that mentor to coffee. I'll do it today. It's it's Monday where we're at before it's noon. I'm going to do that. I've got somebody in mind from church. Um, I want you to reach out mm-hmm. to a potential new friend or a peer. Maybe it's a young adult. Maybe it's somebody new new to church, newer, newer. I, I've made a habit of this and you wouldn't believe some of the friendships I've made and how people are really blessed by like, you asked me to coffee. You made time mm-hmm. for me. Thank you. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is your unfocused or your completely focused, um, uninterrupted focus mm-hmm. and attention. There it is. Not your unfocused, but your uninterrupted <laughs> yeah. focus. And the last one is, um, you know, reach out to a mentor, reach out to a, a new friend, but reach out to a friend that you love. Maybe it's just call with no agenda and just say like, how are you doing? Yeah. And uh, it'll, it'll help us all take community another step deeper. And Katie, how we love to close each episode is throw five minutes on the clock. If you're up for it and we do rapid fire, we call it the five and five, a little bit more of a short form segment. Are you up for the challenge? I am. (laughs) Let's do, I'll kick it off. What's God been teaching you lately? Um, I have loved, I've been reading in Exodus and I feel like God has been teaching me 
the blessing of doing everything for the Lord from the Lord. Wow. So everything they were creating with the tabernacle was for him and the detail and the excellence in their work, but also they weren't doing it with their own resources and their own strength. They were doing it because he gave them the power to do it. And so I'm loving that. Oh, that is so good. All right. Question number two is what is on your heart for young leaders right now? I don't know if they're going to like this, but I'll just say on my heart is that you can lead and it's okay to lead in weakness. And I know like, if you're like me, I'd rather just lead from the power of the Holy spirit that is so evidently at work, but his power is made perfect in our weakness. So if you're feeling weak, lean in and it's okay. And God can use you and will use you even in your weakness. I love that. Oh my goodness. So this is kind of the um, flip the script and is this it's a Hail a, Mary or curveball? What curveball, would it be? Uh, turnover, whatever turnover. you want to say. Yeah, there we go. But uh, the interception, if you could ask Micah and I anything, no questions off limits, what would you want to find out today? Ugh, that's really good. You know what? I think because I am raising young adults, I think I would love to know where you have seen amazing change or impact. And if there was like one specific thing that you could point to that created a, you know, a course change or intimacy with the Lord in young adult lives. Hmm. I will share. Okay. So this is probably firsthand. Many times we say this, like we, we don't feel like we are someone's pastor until we have them in our own home because it decreases anybody's fear and increases their curiosity. One of who is God, who is God to Micah and Josiah? How does this impact their marriage and how do they function in their household? And four, how do they take their children along with the journey? Because we have a two and a three, two and a three-year-old. So how do their girls engage with the ministry and what do they feel? So I think even just opening up our home is a huge demonstration of our heart and taking into consideration the five senses, even just like when they encounter, what do I see? What do I smell? What do I hear? What do I feel? Like, am I getting a hug at the door? Is there food, uh, food being, being served? Like my, I have a gift of hospitality. So I love to serve and invite people in. So am I as Micah, creating a space and a home and ushering in the presence of the Holy spirit. So when young adults do walk in for a Bible study, for a backyard barbecue, for a worship night, when they experience the moment they walk through the door, so many of them have said, there's something different. So my Mm -hmm. prayer for our household is God, may the conversations be deeper. May your spirit and may they um, want to linger longer and may the food taste sweeter. And I pray that they leave here blessed and encouraged. And one of the mottos in our home and our like prayers is like, we leave people in places better than we found them. So how do we imprint what God is doing in our own DNA of our, who we are as a ministry, who we are as a household, how can we encourage them where they're at and say, just because of X, Y, and Z's happened on your family tree, you get to choose what you take with you and what gets burned down and what gets chopped off. So I think when we Put the ball back in their court and say, you're responsible for your relationship with Jesus, but we're going to teach you how to pray, how to create an atmosphere, how to exegete the word of God, how to do community and life together. I think that just unleashes 
a unique form of empowerment of like, oh my gosh, I'm being charged with X, Y, and Z, but I need somebody to teach me. So creating that opportunity in our household for mentorship, discipleship, for firsthand experience. And Josiah, like, what is that phrase? Like see, show, do, like, what is that phrase? I think that we tried to implement unknowingly. It was uh, one of the presidents, I think President Truman wrote this, um, where he said, if you tell me, I'll forget. If you teach me, I'll remember. Uh, but if you if you involve me, I'll learn. So good. And so I think that's what we've kind yeah. of unknowingly adopted. Yeah. So when I heard that, I'm like, wow, that's kind of been our approach in ministry. And the, when a young adult comes through those doors... The hunger for the Lord increases without them even knowing it just because they've been in a new setting. And they're like, wow, somebody cares about me. Somebody's created a meal for me. They've thought of me. They're praying for me. Like they're experiencing it. So I think uh, just what are they seeing? The five senses. It goes back down to that for me of like, it's all about Jesus. Yes, I'm going to point people there. But what we have, you can have too, no matter where you've come from. And you get to be an element or a part. We could be a co-author to the story that God wants to write for your life. Take the pen out of the enemy's hand and get to work. So anyway, five minutes off the clock for me. Go ahead. Mine's short and sweet, (laughs) but I'll still say it. And I'll say this Um, to the parent listening. And you're listening to this podcast because you have a wayward young adult or a prodigal and you're praying that they come home. Two thirds of college students don't recognize a caring adult who believes in them in their entire life. Mm -hmm. So whether you're the parent, you're the coach, you're the pastor, what we all have the opportunity as leaders to do today is to be that caring adult. You never know if you can spot potential, call it out. You're speaking actually what we believe is prophecy. You're saying, this is vision for your life. This is who God's called you to be. This is what I see. And I'm going to call out that gifting and I want to help you unleash it. And so be that caring adult today. And back to you, Katie. So fast. Wow. Question number four. I used all the minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, What's your hope for the listener today? You know what? Let's, um, I think just to leave the listener with this, you know, it's Josiah, you said it, God is faithful. And I'll just say like an example, I we're praying for rain over here because we're in the dry season. It's hot. Um, I have some family that farms and I went to bed last night and there was like this chance of rain for, you know, about the time I was going to wake up this morning and I was praying for rain when I went to bed last night and woke up and it wasn't raining. And I kept praying for rain this morning. And then a few minutes later, my husband came in and said, Hey, did you know it rained last night? And I was like, no, I didn't. I hadn't been outside. And he was like, yeah, it rained like half an inch overnight. I slept through it, but I was just reminded how God moves and works when we don't know it, Mm -hmm. we don't see it, but he hears our prayers and he is actively at work in our lives, even when we don't see or hear. So I don't know where the listener is, what you're praying for, what you're hoping for, what doesn't feel like is happening, but God is at work and he is faithful and you can trust him even if you don't see his work. That's so good. Well, this is the fifth and final question. This is a little off script, but I want you to touch on She Belongs, your new devotional. And what is one hope that you have for the person or the group that's going to dive in deep? When you started this, what is your number one goal that people will experience? And maybe it's in the title. I don't know, but where, where do you want them to land? 
Well, you know what I do? I feel like from life experience and from what God has taught me in his word, I do believe that there is a purpose and a fullness in life that comes when we find our place in the body of Christ. And my hope for those who will get this book and read it, hopefully together, is that they will experience the growth, the purpose, the power of God at work in his people and the mission of what we can do and accomplish together in Christ, that they will experience that in their daily lives. And it will take their lives to a depth and a richness that they haven't experienced separate or alone and, and that they can um, just truly experience the life that God's called us to. Amen. Oh my goodness. That I love is it. amazing. And uh, you heard it. We're talking with Katie McCown. The book is She Belongs. And I mean, our hope for you is that you would experience mm-hmm. the joy that God has mm-hmm. in your life. That joy of the Lord is your strength. And so new heights, new depths, new lengths, new widths. And uh, you can pick up your copy in the show notes. You're listening to the Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.